Okay, I see it. I see the little red dot, so you're definitely recording. <coughs> all right. Are you also recording right. your end of audition, like your audio? Yes, your audio? I am. Okay, great. I'm just making sure. I am. <laughs> I have to just, step into this producer role and kind of like check all the boxes. <laughs> Actually, this is the cold open. You can just... The cold open? Just... Oh, so we're already going. <laughs> we're already okay. going. So, I'm going to include that. Guys, that's how this podcast goes. That's how it goes. Peak before the show starts. Yeah. It's just Tommy making sure I <laughs> do all the things I need to do. Yeah. Um, you're you're listening to 5x59. Five five this oh, is how it happens. Wow. Welcome to 5x59. Five five we have a really this special... Tommy Tribble. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm Tommy Tribble. Yes. You forget. You keep forgetting. The yeah, and then Ram's here, too. Uh, Ram's I'm here, here also. Hello. Yeah. And Thanks. then um, we have a we have a very special guest today. Um, she was the uh, former Central Valley field director for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, she is a political consultant and a community organizer. Um, Alexandria Ramos O'Casey is with us. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for for having me here on the show. Really, really happy to be here and happy to be talking with y'all. Thank you. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Uh, how are you, first of all, with I'm, all this craziness going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm doing as good as I can be, right? Considering all the circumstances, uh, you know, mostly just trying to to make sure we're we're staying inside and uh, trying yeah. to make sure we're. I've, I've been bringing in all my air purifying plants inside. Oh my god! Um, yeah. <laughs> trying to you know just do what we can to just have a a little bit uh, easier of an environment to live in. You know, with with everything we have going on. So um, yeah, doing it doing as best as I can, but uh, happy to happy to be doing more. Yeah, and you're in campaign mode too. I yes, mean, like yes, we are coming. in campaign mode. Um, I was actually just <laughs> editing a calendar for one of my candidates um, right before I hopped on here. So, um, yeah, so it's a lot going on at once, right? And I, and it is a little bit surreal at times, you know, trying to focus mm -hmm. on um, the electoral organizing, you know, when there's literally smoke outside, right? And there's yeah, um, and all these other things that are literally right out our door, um, you know, that are pressing issues. Yeah, I can't even like. Sometimes I wake up, I'm like I can't breathe inside my own house. Yeah, I'm like. Ugh. Today I felt yeah. today I felt fine, and I was like, "Oh, is it getting better? Or am I getting used to the acrid, disgusting air?" Yeah. <laughs> and both and both worried me. Exactly. Exactly. Wait, we're so always like we're always having those moments where we're like, "Wait, is it supposed to be this messed up?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> is this the apocalypse or is it just like this now? Like it's always, it's very, that. Yeah, is this the norm? Is this but for the people who don't know, uh, Alex actually is, you're a consultant for David's uh, campaign, which is, we had him on episode on podcast. three, right? Episode. Yeah. I think two, three. Yeah. Three. But yeah. How many other candidates are you consulting right now? Yeah. Um, so for this particular time around, I'm just working with two candidates, including David. So I'm working with David Paredes, who's running for Fresno Unified School District Area 5 against an, an incumbent, Carol Mills. And then I'm also working with Abina Cruz, um, who is running for State Center Community College District 7, who's running against wow. incumbent Richard Caglia. Um, and yeah, definitely, uh, you know, have gotten some, uh, I, can I curse on this podcast? Yes. yes okay. This is an explicit, this <laughs> okay. is an explicit podcast. There's already been a few times where I was like, okay, say another word, but all right, good, good. Um, we can be <laughs> no, nice, can, nice, can. full and open. Um, yes but, yes. but yeah, you know, I've even had like people kind of give me shit and they were like, why would you go from a presidential to a school board race? And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. um, I actually grew up in the area. 
Um, yeah. So it's very personal for me, right? And um, I'm definitely someone who tries to approach it from the standpoint of, you know, what benefit can we create, right? And what mm-hmm. impacts can we, you know, actually provide for? Um, so, you know, when it came to the race with um, David, um, it especially was, you know, it was a very easy, it was a very easy yes, right? Because he's been doing mm-hmm. such great work in the community. And that yep. means a lot to me because that's where I grew up. And that's where I have a lot of friends and family, um, you know, and with Abina, she's been doing a lot of fantastic, fantastic civil rights work as well. So, you know, it was two candidates that um, I felt I could be proud of and two candidates that I know um, are, are proud of the community that they work in, but more importantly, do everything they can to give back to those communities. So um, that's where I'm spending my time for for this election mostly. I imagine you're like highly sought after because of all your experience. Do you have to be like choosy with the candidates that you work with? Like, do you get a lot of offers? Yeah, um, I, yeah, and I, I do... And I, yeah, (laughs) I, I I do. I'm trying to, trying to be humble, but still. Are there auditions? (laughs) (laughs) Do they have to sing? Like what happens? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, we we definitely get hit up a lot and, um, you know, I, I think for me, right. Like I always try to think about, right. How, how is this person going to inspire and how is this person going to impact the community? Those are always my, my two things that I, I always want to think about first. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause especially with one, uh, like the first race that I ever was like an official consultant on, um, was with Jewel Hurtado mm-hmm. and, you know, it was, it was a race that, um, was very special to me because the inspiration was, was really one of the primary points, right. Really organizing and being able to inspire other young people, um, and especially other young uh, young women of color to be able to see themselves in those roles. Um, so I, I definitely do try to be, um, you know, careful and um, try to see it also as like an investment of our energy, right? You know, mm-hmm. whenever we're whenever we're in spaces, we're giving our energy, we're giving our love. Um, so it's always important to think about it from that perspective and know that you're going to be in a space where you can kind of feel that reciprocation occurring. Now, I wanted to ask you about how you got your start in uh, in politics, basically. Yeah. Like, um, so like my first official gig in politics was I started doing um, voter registration when I was about almost like 16 or so. I was like a soccer player. So pretty much like all my time went to soccer. And then I was also a debater. So I was like where I was spending all my time. And then I tore my ACL and was like, oh shit, I got all these weekends free. Like, what am I going to do? Um, but I really liked, uh, you know, I really liked getting involved in the community. So it was, it was just something that kind of was a, was a step in the right direction. So I started doing it with like some progressive democratic organizations, just registering people to vote. Um, but even before then, right. I come from a family of just like badass Latina teachers. And so they were the kind of people, right. And, and I think these are some of the people that, you know, oftentimes you not get enough credit, right? But they're natural organizers, you know, but they yeah. just, they don't, don't talk about themselves like that. They don't label themselves like that. Um, but I grew up, you know, with all these badass Latinas who were just like constantly organizing events, constantly providing for friends and family in the area, right? Um, so, you know, I think it's also important to kind of just bring up that example that we had, because I think oftentimes like, people think that, you know, you have to get paid for it or you have to be like labeled as such. But honestly, some of the best people that I've ever worked with, you know, they didn't see themselves initially like that, right? They came into the work out of necessity or out of love for their community. Um, So definitely the chingonas in my family. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that time after I tore my ACL. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, did did you say that you were in debate? Yes, in I was school? in debate. Because oh, I, I, I think <laughs> I saw you interact with Hunter Radford. You yeah, Hunter? he was actually my debate partner for a little bit at Fresno City College. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, because I knew him from debate in high school. Uh-huh. We went to the same high school together. Wait, what debate did you do in uh, in high school? Like what t- style of debate? Oh, man. So I primarily did Lincoln Douglas. Um, okay, I same. I was LD and, a, and a few other ones, but I, I definitely liked the value-based debate. Um, it was mm. it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, same. I mean, I was thinking about my time in debate, and that was really formative. But you know, some debaters turn evil. I mean, mm. <laughs> when you see all the debaters from your old and then they like. I actually um, Hunter and I actually was like one of the one of the very last tournaments um, that I did because I was like, you know, what, this is my final season of debate. I feel like I've gone through years of abuse and I want to <laughs> about it. Um, so we actually ran a critique that was basically like, look, y'all, we need to stop being elitist and prissy and like, yeah. we cannot have more debaters coming out like fucking Ted Cruz's and like oh Ben Shapiro's. Yeah. I was like, if we're going to like, you know, I was like, we like, I'm like, best is like, you know, an Oprah type of debater, right? Like she's one of the yeah, few yeah. that like, you know, had a, you know, had a good um, successful career after that's, you know, not all about propaganda. Mm, um, yeah. But but yeah, we ran a whole critique where we basically were like, y'all have been um, hurting students of color in this in this wow. environment. Yeah. And um, and we and I basically was like, we need to organize. I was like, I was like, I pretty much was like, this is a circle jerk. We need to be no, organizing. No, I'm like, if we have all these resources and all of this knowledge, like, why the fuck aren't we? Why are we organizing? What the fuck is this? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, we're, I'm like, we're competing with like kids from Berkeley. I'm like, do you know how many resources you have in your library that we would love to have here in the Valley? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had some interesting reactions. Uh, <laughs> Did you guys win the round? Uh, we <laughs> won some of them. We, we definitely oh, won okay. some of them. I think actually one tournament we we did go, we did advance into some of the, like not the final finals, but I think like the quarters or semis. Wait, I want to share one debate story in high school. Like one of my final ones before like senior year, uh, I was like, I think it was like parliamentary or something. I think it's parley debate, which is the easy debate because there's no, no, there's no cases. We just make up shit on the fly. Mm-hmm. And they were like quoting like, a movie or like they were using a movie as evidence of like why incarceration was like good or some shit and i was like guys it's a fucking movie and i said fucking i was like in the round i was like it's a fucking movie because i was just so tired of this argument i was like and then i mean i lost the round but the judges <laughs> were fun they were laughing and then i was like you know what guys i'm done with debate this, like, this shit's stupid you lost the round but you won their hearts and that's exactly what I did. yeah exactly. They, they were like you should you should have won but uh, you said the F word. So I was like, well, you know what? Whatever. So, Alexandra, you were really mobilizing like a, a movement within your debate club. <laughs> like you were, <laughs> you've been organizing a long time then. I, I organize where I can. So <laughs> we love that. We love the like consistency of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was funny too because I even had like a couple people, they were like, do you really mean it? Or are you just doing this as like performance today? And I was oh like, my God, no way. I, I was like, I was like, no, like this is my life. Like I'm, I'm living this every day. Like we need to do better. And it was, yeah, it, it was a bit surreal. Like, um, yeah, I, yeah, that was a, that was a weird moment. I think it was the coach from Santa Rosa. He just like got right up in my face and was like, are you for real? And I was like, Whoa. see, that's the, that's, that's kind of the problem with debate is cause like you have to debate both sides, whatever the topic 
And that's kind of a problem because you have to like kind of gaslight yourself, like especially when it's like something you don't agree with. You're like, oh, you know what? I will make good arguments for why war is good. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, and then that's why I feel like people like Ben Shapiro exist because of, I don't know, like that. There's no like objectivity in like the. Exactly. Yeah. Or like, that's why yeah, you just got to say, fuck it. We're going to organize yeah. and we're going to get Yeah, I'm going to get out, out of here. Yeah, I don't want to debate anymore. I don't want you spreading or talking really fast at me and after like, right because when you jump to both sides of the argument it sort of becomes like an aimless rhetorical exercise instead of anything useful which i feel like is the problem yep yeah sometimes well that was inside on debate but i just wanted to ask you about your debate that was so interesting uh, beginnings <laughs> yeah i don't know if anybody else asked you about that it was like debate is really i don't know maybe that's also why i'm like politically active too is because of debate mm-hmm. it's like yeah, um, no, we got we got to give a shout out to our coaches and teachers. Shout like, out, you yeah. know, no matter what bad stuff, it definitely was a, a good catalyst. Oh, no, it was like, I owe how loud I am to debate. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't go to debate class in high school, I would be shy and not. And now he shuts, this the, never shuts the fuck up. So thanks now I know. No, no, thanks. no, seriously. Shout now out McKendra McCoy. Podcast. <laughs> shout out, shout out McKendra McCoy for unleashing hell on world. <laughs> But so how did you how did you first find out about Bernie Sanders? Like, because yeah. I feel like that's like, you know, you you're, you're, you introduced him when he came to um, to Fresno. When was that? Mm-hmm. Like last in year? November, I believe in November. Was. Yes, yeah. I was also there. I think mm-hmm. that was awesome. I was actually in the background. I was like, yeah, they, they asked me to <laughs> be in the back. But yeah, how did you find out about him or got involved with his campaign? Yeah. So, I mean, like the first time I think I ever found out about him, I was like, I want to say I was about like 12, actually. And I was watching super random, but I was just like, I was trying to, you know, hang out with my mom, but she was watching this documentary and she was like, she was like, I love you, Miha, but like, let me watch this documentary. Like I want to finish <laughs> watching this. And I was like, eh. um, but then, you know, then I kind of just like, kind of, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of like stand in the background and you're like, eh, might as well like watch what's happening. So, yeah. so I did. And then like, all of a sudden this, you know, this guy comes on with straggly hair and like clearly just like live in his own life, live in his truth. And, you know, he was talking about economic disparity and about working class people. And, you know, everything that he was saying, right, really resonated with me. And I think also he kind of has that really cool mix, right, of where he's using he's using language that, you know, is still is still sophisticated, but it's still accessible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, him him speaking the way that he did. And I think also just like, you know, the way that he approaches it. Right. You know, he's not a politician who comes in like super polished with like makeup on or anything like that. Yeah. You know, he just he comes as he is. Um, and I think, you know, even as a child, that was something that stuck out to me, um, just seeing somebody, especially in that type of environment, um, just being themselves and speaking their truth, um, and really speaking to what people are feeling and the impacts that they're dealing with every day. Um, so that, that was really the first time that, um, that I had heard about him and my mom told me like, Oh yeah, he's from, you know, that's the guy from Vermont. And I was like, Oh, cool. All right. Now I know who this guy is. And then, you know, skip to, um, I remember when Bernie came to Fresno in 2016 and, Mm -hmm. um, I remember having this moment, I went with my friend Nusheen and a couple of other friends 
and we were sitting there and I don't know if y'all remember if you were there, but like, it was super hot, right? It yeah, was, it was so during was. the like, summer. There was, there was like a girl that passed out or something. I was like, Oh no. Yeah. And then like, um, and it was super hot, but it was like, you know, it was, the energy was magic. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was, everybody was like loving. Everybody was like intense in the most positive way. Um, and everybody was there for the right reasons. Right. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes political events have like, have just like a strange fucking like array of energy. Right. You have like, yeah. you got evil people. You got, you know, you got just like <laughs> awkward people. We're and it's just like <laughs> that Bernie rally. was just like, everybody was like in harmony. Um, and I remember having this moment where like, I was, I was seeing, um, I was looking at all the signs right before, right, right. As Bernie was coming on and I was like holding, I was like holding my hands like this to my face. And then I saw this sign that was just like, you know, handwritten letters on a big blue poster. And it just said revolution. And I just remember like, I had this moment where I was like, this is really happening. Like this, this, I was like, this is long-term this is not short term. Mm -hmm. This is something that's going to continue. Um, so that was the first time that I ever thought, wow, it'd be fucking dope to work for Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Um, and then, and then fast forward four years later, um, I was actually working as, um, a speech and debate coach at Fresno city college and got a call, Mm -hmm. um, saying, Hey, would you be interested in joining the team for, uh, the California campaign for Bernie? And, um, of course I immediately told my students and they all freaked out and, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, you know, my favorite thing that one of my students told me was, um, you know, as I was considering it, right. Cause I, I love my students so much and I really didn't want to, um, you know, it was kind of hard to, to, um, you know, think about leaving, especially when I had just gotten started Mm -hmm. with them. But, you know, the thing that one of them said to me that really stuck out was like, well, if you're going to leave us for anyone, you know, leave us for Bernie. And, um, so, you know, that's something that I reminded myself all throughout the campaign. And then, um, about two or three weeks later, I think it was, um, then I, I jumped on board. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And you like, you got the entire central coast for Bernie. How was that? Like, how is it like getting all those, how was that working through it? It was a lot of work. It was, it was a lot of work. Um, definitely a lot of long nights, um, a lot of long drives, right? We had both the, the, the central Valley and the central coast, which is pretty much Mm -hmm. the size of an East coast state. Uh, (laughs) so it's a lot of ground to cover. I can tell you that my, my car is not doing too hot these days, um, (laughs) on those rough roads. Um, and you know, and, and, and you see a lot, right. Especially the central Valley and the central coast, um, especially when it comes to environmental issues, right. Um, just driving through it is very obvious. You know, there were plenty of times where frankly, like I almost thought I was going to die in a car crash because the fog was so bad mixed with the pesticides. Um, you know, you have all these, all these factors that are happening, Um, but it was, it was a lot of work, but you know, it really was a team effort. Right. And that's something that I always try to stress, um, especially with the way that just the whole strategy of Bernie's campaign worked out. Um, it was all really about, um, you know, empowering people and getting them involved in organizing in their own areas and, um, you know, doing it in a way that they can use those skills long-term. So, so after, after, after the, um, sort of Sanders campaign ended with, with the loss. I personally had like a really big feeling of like hopelessness. Um, and it's been like a struggle to like get back into like, you know, feeling like a, um, momentum behind like the progressive movement and stuff. How have you like struggled with that? How did you overcome that feeling? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's a fantastic point, right? And I and I do want to make sure I'm I'm very clear about this, right? Like I think just because of like how many campaigns I had worked on in the past, I think mm-hmm. that it was different for me this time around because I had kind of prepared myself for that moment, right? And you know, one of the main one of my main motivating factors in taking on that particular job, right, was that I knew that we could create long-term change. And so for me, um, grounding myself constantly throughout the campaign and always reminding myself, you know, like about some of the fantastic young people and especially young people of color that I mentor, um, always trying to remind myself, right, you know, what energy and what skills am I giving them that I know will put us in a good place no matter what happens on March 3rd. Um, So when we got, so once we got to that point, right, and, you know, Super Tuesday was, all kinds of yeah. all kinds yeah. of brutal, right? Um, you know, in Cali- <laughs> and it was a bittersweet victory because it's like you know we killed in California, we crushed yeah. it, um, and and it was, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time that any Democratic candidate has taken all of the congressional districts for Central Valley and Central Coast, let alone it being a Democratic socialist, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in the Valley and in the the Central part, you know, which is the most comparable to like red areas of of the rest of the country, like that's that's a mm-hmm. big deal. Um, but for me, it was, it was, um, the way that I grounded myself was like, okay, who are those fantastic, um, especially young people of color that I can now continue to invest in so we can continue this movement. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it all, and it's always that reminder. and, And that's one of the reasons that I think, you know, the slogan was so beautiful, right. Of not me us. Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Bernie was serious about that, right? Like, I think most candidates could not get away with using something like that because most of us would be like, eh, you're full of shit. But (laughs) Bernie, um, you know, he, he really meant it, right? And, um, even, even the way that we approached the media, right, for the Central Valley Bernie campaign, we were constantly looking for ways that we could promote our young Latino leaders, our young Black leaders, right? We were constantly looking, um, you know, for those ways that we could give publicity, give platform and be like, Uh Look, y'all, this isn't just uh-huh. Bernie, you know, this is you. If you want to be a part of the movement as an organizer, you can. If you want to run for office in your community, you can, right? Um, like Delano is a perfect example. Right. They have one Bernie supporter who's currently on the board, and now they've got two more that are currently running. Um, all three of them are are young Latinos and young um and a young Latina, um, and they're about to take their board, right? So we're about mm-hmm. to have a progressive majority in a place that is rich with historical movement history. Um, so I think I think that's what it comes down to: is how are we reinvesting right back into our our community? Um, but I but I understand the pain, and and I think that, and that's why I prefaced, you know, I I try to prepare myself, you know, for that pain and try to redirect that energy um, into the young into the young people that I believe in. Yeah, when like oh, sorry, Tommy, you go. No, when when Bernie uh lost on Super Tuesday, I was like, well, I was like really depressed. But then that's when I turned like, okay, you know, like the not me us a slogan. I was like, okay, it's time to stop focusing on national politics. I'm gonna turn inward and you know, I mean, this whole podcast, this whole newsletter that I'm doing is part of like kind of Bernie's message. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I feel like I feel more hope now, actually, because of all like the people I've like of all the movement within local races that's happening. And like, I think people who are like kind of dejected from what happened, I think they need to look in their own community and see what's going on, because there's a lot 
happening. They just, they might just not know, but there's a lot of people that are doing good work in our community. So I mean, I want to thank you for doing that too. Like for helping that. Appreciate and I appreciate what y'all are doing. This is, um, you know, this is fantastic. And just like I said, right, this is a continuation of the movement. It's mm -hmm. another platform yeah. for young people that are like-minded and want to take care of each other for y'all to build, um, you know, an additional community, right? Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're building a digital yeah. community mm -hmm. through this and that's, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of media, I was actually reading a Sacramento Bee story. You were quoted in it. Um, and it was very much like the, well, now that Bernie lost, you know, the girls are settling for Biden. And it was very much like that story. And like Jewel was in it and such. And I was thinking about it as I was reading it. And I, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, how do you feel about the way the media like covers the movements that like you're involved in and stuff? What could they be doing better? Number one centering voices of oppressed people. I think that is absolutely the number one thing. Like if I read one more fucking article from some white dude from North Fresno um, <laughs> talking about mm -hmm. how, what he thinks about black lives matter. Like I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, it's, it's too yeah. much. Right. It's um, I, I think really centering people who are most impacted. Right. I think that is absolutely vital for everyone to have a better understanding um, and also to increase the media literacy, right? It is also a mm -hmm. lot easier for people to understand something when they're hearing it from a first person story perspective, as opposed to oftentimes an analysis of someone who isn't really as impacted or doesn't have as much knowledge on that specific subject, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's one of the number one things that we absolutely have to um, have to change. And, and a part of that also means, right, me that also ensuring that you know more young people of color more black indigenous and people of color lgbtq um you know everybody actually having those positions of power in media in media right you know when it comes to you know who's in the editing room and and who's going to be making the final decisions of what makes the cut and whatnot um you know it's 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 one step in the right direction to hire, you know, someone as, um, you know, to hire someone who's black, indigenous, people of color, or, you know, LGBTQ as a journalist, but it's another thing entirely to have them as your editor. Right. Yeah. Um, and it makes a huge difference when it comes to the stories and what is chosen to be produced and what is not chosen and how they approach the content. Right. Um, and, you know, and I, I've said it very, you know, frankly, and, and I try to live my life as much as I can with this, you know, like if I have a position and I realize that someone else is better suited, um, or it, like if we're trying to approach this from an equity mindset, that someone else should be in that position instead, then we have to make sure that we, that we can accept that and promote them into those positions. Right. Um, and that's something where, where some folks get a little bit angrier with me, but I'm like, no, if, if it's, if it's more equitable for someone else to have that position, then it's also part of my obligation to be able to step back and make space for them. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I think we got to We have to center those voices more, um, definitely get rid of, you know, the, the old crusty white dinosaurs that just, yes. that just consistently yes. don't understand what's happening with racism and sexism and all of these things. Um, right. you know, so many of them have had so many fucking chances to do better and they don't, yeah. and it's not helping the community. So, yeah. um, I yeah, I, I think, uh, centering those voices and, you know, getting rid of people that we know are toxic and harmful. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing all this down. I'm I like writing to all think this of down. Our, oh, I'm writing it all down. Yeah, write it all down. 
I like to think of our podcast as the meteor that will collide and I want I want that. We'll Honestly, I, I was talking to Tommy about this. Like Tommy, you know, if like Five by ever gets really big and I would love to step down from this hosting position, give it to somebody else who, you know, like I want to build something and then give it to somebody else who could do this job better, probably. You know, but that's that's the dream, anyways. But we're day four of this podcast. <laughs> Episode yeah, six four. of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, seeding a legacy is definitely yeah, important. No, to I've all of us. I think the old white dinosaurs need to go. I've like ranted too much, like in my personal relationships about guys. The media needs to change now. <laughs> like they're not really, they don't give a shit. But yeah, and I think it's yeah. one thing that you know most people would probably agree with. You know, like maybe not what type of change, but I think you know everybody at this point has at least like some ideas of how they would like to see the media change. You know, that would benefit yeah. them. Do you think that the media, well, I mean, probably not, but like the, the media is just when the, how they covered Bernie was so weird. Like I was just always in disagreement. With, like it's so weird. It's like they yeah. were conspiring against him. Like they just hated him so much. And just like, I don't know. And it was so weird when like I thought Biden was like gone. Like I thought we were all laughing. There was like when 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 Biden or when when we were in like Iowa, when Pete was, or when we won a bunch of states, I was like, ah, Biden, that's not going to happen. It's like, it's all Bernie all the way. Let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how are we here? Yeah. How are we here? Yeah. No, hella real. Yeah. And it was, and it was definitely something that, you know, we prepared for, um, you know, on the campaign and making sure that, you know, we were always redirecting it to a positive, you know, positive mm-hmm. light. Cause, cause that was the number one tactic, right. Is they would reword things. So yeah. he would sound like older and grumpier than he was, but also like the earth is dying and we're <laughs> yeah. dying. We don't have healthcare. Like everything's yeah. fucking expensive. Like you know, it, it's kind of crazy. It's a little bit weird to not be at least slightly grumpy sometimes, you know, Yeah. <laughs> like given how oh, everything yeah. is, um, <laughs> which, which is always the funny part, which I think, you know, and, and I think it's, a, it's also a really good example, right? And AOC also is a good example of like media, media forcing a narrative that they think is really negative when actually yeah. like most working class people are like, no, I, I think what he's doing makes sense. Like, you know, we're, we're yeah. dying out here. We need, we need help. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I think, um, and, and I think one of the best things to, to kind of talk about is that, um, I don't think a lot of it was as successful as they had hoped. Right. I think, yeah. I think a lot of the truth broke through and, um, you know, I think that, that folks, you know, know, especially now how everything has played out too. I, th- I think most people who had a, enough of an open mind understand where Bernie was coming from. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, you know, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think honestly, a lot of the headlines I would laugh at cause I'd be, cause I would, I, I cause you know exactly who the audience is, right. You yeah, read it yeah, and yeah. you're just like, Oh, okay. They're trying to get a Karen mad today. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but then, mm-hmm. but then you and your friends read it and you're like, Oh, well that's a, that's one way to twist the story. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think the yeah. biggest thing from it is it actually provided me a lot of faith in the media literacy, especially of working class mm-hmm. folks and young people, black indigenous people of color lgbtq their media literacy from at least from a lot of the folks in the community that i worked with is a lot better than i think a lot of people give us credit for and especially people in the media who are who are crafting oh, those yeah. headlines um <laughs> yeah what do you think drove that sort of um i guess 
anti-Sanders bias? Do you think it was like a a hate or was it were they just trying to cater to like an establishment audience, perhaps? Um, what, what do you what do you think was the source of that? I mean, obviously, yeah, I think I think sure, two but. primary things, you know, one, the money. Right. You know, if if we if yep. you look back at, you know, who are the ones who are funding those primary media sources mm-hmm. who were who were running those those narratives to try and mess with Bernie and the movement. Right. Um, you know, it it pretty much all links back to large donors of other establishment Democrats. Right. Yep. Um, so, so that's the number one thing, right. Just in, in terms of the money. So it's like, you know, so it makes sense if they're, if they're funding the other candidates, then, you know, it would make sense that they would, if they have the platform that they would run a narrative, um, that is counter to the, the one guy, especially who is, is not just trying to beat their candidates, but he's trying to change the entire system that they are currently benefiting from. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then second, I do think that, you know, already with the established audiences that a lot of those media sources had, um, you know, they they tend to do have they tend to vote more with the establishment. So it was also that catering to that preset narrative of like, Mm -hmm. we're the Dems, we vote for Dems Mm -hmm. that do these Dem things. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think media, I, I, when I was watching it, I thought like, oh, these are people that don't like to bet on the wrong horse. Like I thought there was like a, they, there was like a, oh, Biden's definitely going to take this thing. So we're just going to like cater to that narrative so that in the end we look, you know, insightful. Um, and even though they ended up being right, like, you know, I, I, sometimes I wonder if it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing you know, like Mm -hmm. better coverage, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely. So I think like the word that comes to mind is reification, right? It's that process of where once you repeat something enough times, like it just becomes true in people's heads. And I think, um, Uh Fox news uses it, um, pretty much all corporate media uses it. Um, but Fox is like the most notorious and and unfortunately sometimes the best at it, um, which is (laughs) shitty, but you know, gotta, gotta know who you're gotta give credit. Yeah. Where credit's due. Um, But I definitely think that there was an aspect of reification, right, where they were very purposefully trying to repeat those things as many times as possible to make it true. But I think a lot of the motivation was also that they saw very quickly, um, especially in places like California, that the numbers weren't really coming in their favor. Right. Um, And especially with this time around, like the ground game was very, very much designed keeping in mind everything that could have also been done in 2016. Right. So this was a very, Mm -hmm. very aggressive ground game um, that we ran and we were very, very um, aggressive and adamant. um, And we were, all of us were working our asses off just straight up. Um, So, you know, so when it, so when it comes to those establishment candidates and, you know, that establishment, um, narrative, you know, it was, it was definitely something that was purposeful, but also it comes back to, you know, who's in the establishment, right? It's a lot of white Mm -hmm. consultants and white consultants Mm -hmm. who also have incentive to one, not be proven wrong by this mass movement. (laughs) Um, and two, right. Who wouldn't benefit, um, you know, from Bernie winning and then, and especially three, right. You know, because it's, it's, it was like, you know, Bernie's was more of like, a community organizing and electoral organizing mash, right? Whereas all the other campaigns were just like, we're here to electoral organize. How are you today? Can we get your vote? Um, So, Mm -hmm. so because of that, um, you have, you have these shifts that, that occur, um, you know, where, where folks will, will stick with, um, 
you know, candidates that they're a little bit more used to, but, but white consultants like very much grab onto, like if they have an early analysis, they're going to fucking, you know, hold on to it for dear life. <laughs> yeah. Cause they don't want to be proven <laughs> wrong oftentimes. Um, but you know, one of the things that trumps a lot of, um, you know, white dude statistical analysis is people's passions and racial justice and environmental justice, right? Because these are things that are impacting us every day. Um, so when it comes to, how, you know, a white consultant dude is going to be running his numbers, oftentimes they're not considering those outside influential factors, right? And that was really the key um, that came into Bernie, right? Because we had influential factors that were being intersected with a community organizing and electoral organizing approach. Dude, I have, I have my own conspiracy theory well i mean conspiracy theory of like why the media just really hates bernie mm -hmm. and this might be a little bit crazy and i know tommy's already rolling his eyes when i when i tell him this i've told you about this theory because i'm like guys why do you think the media like you know new york times new york times had a trump bump like they have the most subscribers ever it's, the failing, the failing New York Times, New York Times. has yeah. the most subscribers because of Trump. And I'm thinking, like, whenever New York Times is any, like, wh who do they nominate or who do they endorse? They endorsed <laughs> Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth dumb. Warren. Uh, anyway, so dumb. Like, Both. Two, I'm like, I, I've, I have nothing also, against them. I'm sorry. Can what? we do it after this? Can we do a sidebar about that? Because that was yeah, anyway, crazy. But I'm like, but well, they want Trump to win. Like they, they make they may they might seem like they don't want him to win, but like them writing more about how Trump sucks is good for their business. That's just my like crazy big brain theory. Of like maybe they're for Trump. Like there's no way. I don't know. I'm a little bit more sympathetic I know. because I think like reporters are people too, and they can like see outside also. And no, I just, I'm just I, saying I don't know, I don't know dude. That. The corporate never entities that. that own like. Uh, New York Times and shit like that. They would benefit yeah, the most. But like I'm not talking about local newspapers. I'm talking about just the big ones. They're the ones who's gonna profit the best. But even the big ones employ journalists. You know, I'm just thinking about that guy that got hacksawed to death, you know, the um Kasogi, um by that so you know the guy um he was like a journalist and like some in and the saudi prince oh, like had him assassinated yeah. or whatever. And I'm just thinking about like anti-reporter bias and stuff and like all of that. And I don't know. I just don't feel like this is a great climate for <laughs> journalists. So the idea of like pouring know, more gasoline know, on it by like helping Trump win again is just like strange to me. Well, that's but my that's weird like, theory. My but anyways, it's <laughs> but sure, we don't know. We don't know. And so. I think another thing to consider is, um, you know, I think a, a decent amount too of people, um, you know, whether they whether they understand it or not, is they can you know, especially upper middle class white people, you know, they don't really have as much incentive to care. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah. and to be mm -hmm. honest, um, you know, and I, and I've had some of these fucked up conversations where they basically just told me like, well, my life's not going to change no matter who wins. <laughs> right. right. Um, so I, so I think oftentimes, um, you know, and I think it's funny because, you know, it's like, it's like young people of color oftentimes get more shit for being apathetic, but I'm like, I feel like it's actually a lot, a lot of yeah. the other ones. Cause, cause yeah, I'm like, we have more to lose and yeah, their life exactly. really isn't going to change very much. Um, yeah. I mean, there's more reason yeah. to be apathetic when just like, it feels like your life sucks. Like you're running against a system that doesn't give a shit about you. Mm -hmm. 
So makes sense. Mm. Yeah, there's like two apathies. The one that comes with like things that are like just super bad. And then there's the one that comes with like, well, things are going to change for me either way. So, you know, they're both like the same thing, but from two different class angles. It's interesting. I feel like there's lack of empathy. It's like, of course, nothing's going to change for you. But like, think about the person that isn't you Mm -hmm. (laughs) that has significant changes through their lives. But, you know, that's just a problem. But then, like, we say all of this, and there's that Biden quote about, like, nothing will fundamentally change, right? So, aren't they kind of right a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Are those yeah. rich white people kind it's of right? A, yeah, it's, a, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a fair point. Um, but, yeah. Well, we're all going to vote Biden, guys. Don't worry about it. I'm settling for Biden. <laughs> I'm what? so undecided. I thought I might write Tulsi oh, and I'm just yeah. kidding. I was the, like, way, how are you the way I've been telling people about it is like, they're like, well, how do you feel about it? And so I've kind of told them, I'm like, I don't know if y'all saw the uh, the DNC sec- um, convention section where his wife, Jill Biden, um, was on, right? And she's like telling the story of how they met. And then, you know, they're kind of, they do this like little section where they're joking about the fact that like, you know, Joe had to ask her multiple times to marry him before she finally oh, said yes. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, so that's kind of how I've been telling so people. I'm just like, I'm like, Jill yeah, Biden? you know, like, just like Joe, like the first couple of times I wasn't down, but you know, Hey, fine. We're here. Put a ring on it. That's wonderful. Clip this part of the episode. Clip this part of the episode. I'm gonna, yeah, clip this part. Yeah. Clip this part. Jill. That's amazing. That was the best sales pitch. He should he should take yeah. this and run yeah. that as an ad. That's Jill incredible. Biden is also settling for Biden. <laughs> She's been settling for Biden for yeah. years. For, for 30, 30 years. years. Like she should be running the campaign. She should have said that story from the get-go. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Oh, fine. Okay. Fine. Yeah. yeah, but but shout out to Jill. She's a community college um, professor, and and she actually mm-hmm. um, around the time when Bernie came to Fresno, right? Like um, a couple, she like Bloomberg too. did yeah, some very did. awkward random thing, like in a courtyard, <laughs> right? Like nobody showed up, um, and then yeah, um, and I think like maybe I think maybe Steyer came through, but. Jill Biden actually took the time to talk to a, a lot of the admin and um, some of the professors and staff at Fresno City College. So I do oh, just wow. want to give a fair shout out to the lady. Oh, um, I do remember that. To yeah. the, the new to the soon to be yeah. um, first lady, Jill Biden. So hopefully I remember because it was hell getting a reporter to go chase after her because she was like doing a whole campus tour and we couldn't get a hold of anybody to <laughs> track her down. <laughs> and I was like, no, make him run over there. <laughs> like, it's like I remember being on the phone about it. This right. day was hectic. <laughs> but yeah. But I want to get away from relitigating the 20, uh, uh, 20 primary and talk more about your like current, the current races with like, for the school board and stuff. What, uh, what? You know why? I mean, you touched on this a little bit already, but like, why to go from presidential to school board? Like, you know, the school, people don't realize that school boards are really important to their lives. Yeah, Could you talk yeah. A bit so, about that? so as I mentioned before, right? Like, I come from a long line of Latina educators. Um, my my grandmother came from Zacatecas, Mexico, and um, with a, a lot of her sisters and brothers and family, and they moved to a little town called Yedem, which is in Tulare County, tiny, tiny little town, um, where they had a ranch. 
And most of the women in the family, right, were very, very adamant about getting an education um, and, you know, being able to, to do something, right? And the majority of them went into teaching in different high schools or colleges all throughout the Central Valley, um, especially in Fresno and Tulare County. Um, so, you know, the importance of education has always been something that, um, you know, ha has been in my life, right, and has always been something that's important to me. And so when it came to, you know, getting this opportunity, right, um, you know, it, it seemed like the right thing to do, right, one, because not only myself, but literally every single member, like, of David's team, including David, we've all unfortunately had really terrible interactions with the incumbent um, oh, really? where, where we Carol as Mills. young, yeah, where we as young people of color, like came, you know, speaking our demands, right. Um, you know, Elizabeth Lira, who is the campaign manager, fantastic. Um, love her to death. I've been mentoring her for a really long time. Um, she was actually one of the Latino constituency organizers in AOC's district for Bernie in New York. Um, oh, wow. she's, she's fantastic. Mm. Right. And she has done a lot of reform work also in Fresno Unified. And actually one of her first projects that she worked on, um, you know, was, was creating what is now, right. What was like, what was now, what is now an ethnic studies program. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, Carol was not having it back then, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, um, oh. but, but now, you know, now, now things, um, mm -hmm. now I guess equity matters to her. So, uh, yeah. No, she'll talk your ear off about that social justice uh, transfer degree. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that was also something <laughs> my understanding from other activists she wasn't originally on board on. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's very personal for all of us, right? We've all mm. been, we've all literally been directly impacted by her words and in rooms and, and then also by the policies, right? That she has been um, implementing and working on or refusing to implement until 10 years later. Um, Once so, it's cool. Yeah. And, and so it, it's very personal, right? And like I said, I grew up in the area. Um, you know, I experienced a lot of trauma as a child um, growing up in that area. And so I think it's, um, I think it was extremely important, especially with everything happening with COVID, um, you know, to run a campaign where we can provide resources for folks, check in mm -hmm. um, and build a lasting community. And I think with David, right, the, the difference is that this is work he's going to be doing regardless. And this was work he was already doing before. And for me, that's important for the kids and for the families, for the guardians, for everybody in that district. Um, because it can be rough there and we, we need that extra love. We need that extra care. Um, and we need somebody who can represent us and more importantly, someone who's going to listen, um, and mm -hmm. take those and take those recommendations, um, and not just give us a condescending eye roll. I will, I will attest to the, to the campaign. Cause, uh, cause I, I phone bank for David, um, last week and, because, uh, you know, I've, I've phoned bank before a lot of times, but uh, like, there's like a part of the script where we kind of like just tell tell people that we're phone banging for like a wellness check first before I go into my old spiel. Uh, and a lot of people really liked it. Uh, and I don't know if you were at the launch or at the house party yesterday, but I told a story about how like I had one of my best calls phone banking when I phone bank for David. Like it was like because I've like done so many calls like for the census for like our bio or some other stuff. And it's never been this good. Like it felt like I was really connecting with this person. Yeah. Like he was like, he's like, oh yeah, no, I appreciate these links, uh, but I'm good, thankfully. And then we talked about David's campaign and then he was like, oh yeah, no, I'm fully behind this. I was like, oh wow. Like it feels, it felt good. I was like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's like the first mm. i feel like that's the very first call that i've ever had that's like this is dope mm-hmm. yeah because yeah, right, we're leading summer. with care right we're leading mm-hmm. with community yeah. we're not just showing up like hey i need you to vote for me dude um you know yeah exactly we're 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 speaking to the times right we're not trying to act as if like the world is not on fire around us and you know people are starving right we're, we're being realistic and and trying to approach people yeah. where they are yeah i know that's pretty good and i feel like given the state of education with all the sort of covid um complications that have come with in class meeting and you know every and even school board meetings you know all of that stuff that's been affected by it like i feel like um who's going to be on the school board could be really important to people right now yeah especially. yeah absolutely um you so. know and i and i think one of the other motivating factors right is my mother is actually a professor at fresno city college um and she's someone who mm. teaches full full time both summer and fall right so a majority wow. of the professors got like a three week or, you know, a little bit longer period of training before going into the fall. Whereas someone like my mom and other teachers who were teaching summer school, she was doing her grades for the spring semester at the same time that she was having to completely learn how to do online classes when she has never done them before. Right that's a fuck ton of stress on any teacher. Um, and even like, and even just learning new technology and all of this stuff, right. Um, it, it's so much stress on the teachers, on the students, um, on everybody who's involved. Right. So I, so, you know, it made it that much more important to have good leadership right now because we have to be empathetic and we have to be able to respond to the resources that people need because, you know, we're at a point we can't wait. People need Mm -hmm. things they need now. Um, and they need leadership that's going to provide equity and actually prioritize the resources um, for our people. So, you know, that's why I was like, you know, school board, that's where my heart is. And, you know, it's it's where I grew up. Right. So I want to I do right. What what does your mom teach at FCC? What's her um, communication? Actually, um, so she uh, primarily does interpersonal communication and argumentation. Um, but her her favorite and what I would say, um, well, I mean, she is, definitely is an argumentation specialist. I would say that, but um, <laughs> but, um, but more importantly, story. Right? She hosts an annual storytelling festival at Fresno City College, which I can honestly say was one has been one of the most impactful things of my life. Right. Um, being able to meet international storytellers, um, you know, because, because yeah, storytelling is the original communication art, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what it all comes back to. Um, and that, and, and it's universal, right? I think story is universal. It's beautiful. It's, it's true to who we are. Um, and that's something that she really shines in and also being, you know, one of the few um, Latina full-time faculty there, uh, you know, she gets a lot of Latina and Latino students that, um, you know, come to her Latinx students that, that are, that, that understand that the importance of their story in the context of her classroom. And I think that is something that is, is really valuable. So um, yeah, story, story is her expertise. Nice. That's, I, I think that's so and, interesting. And that's why you're like, you were a debater because she was an art, she was a communication. Mm-hmm. That makes sense now. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Do you want to? And now you're communicating policy. Incredible. Yes, but policy, incorporating poli- story whenever we can, right? <laughs> uh, I hate mm-hmm. hearing policy, dude. Policy debate, not, not <laughs> the worst. No. It all comes back. To, it definitely all comes back to story, though, because people like really don't care about like how what the marginal tax rate is. They care about like 
what that has effect that has on their story as people mm -hmm. i feel like um yeah, did we want to get was, into the viewer gonna, questions i was gonna say viewer yeah, listener questions <laughs> listener questions no we're gonna upload okay. to YouTube <laughs> today <laughs> all right here's the first uh question that we got from twitter do we get uh, to know who's it from uh, no, they're like anonymous questions okay they're anonymous <laughs> but there is one that i definitely know who anonymous. sent it anyways i'm not <laughs> to, to protect the innocent yeah, there's what i know the who, who sent it and <laughs> they're messing with me anyways uh what's some advice of what's some advice for young women of color that you wish you could have told your younger self great fucking question okay number one trust your gut <laughs> If if uh, especially if like an older male supervisor seems creepy, if your gut's telling you he seems creepy, he's probably creepy. <laughs> okay. Um mm. uh and, and trust your gut in any sense, right? You know, like that 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 gut that gut feeling is there for a reason, right? Mm. Um so trust your gut and and honor it, right? Honor, honor that little voice that is that is giving you concern or giving you extra information, right? honor that because it's there for a reason, especially when you're in political spaces, right? Just how I had mentioned before, like oftentimes political spaces have just like a plethora of weird, toxic energy oftentimes. Um, so that, that guiding voice, you know, that is how you keep yourself safe. Um, and that is how you protect yourself and you protect your boundaries. Um, and it'll also help you, right, to develop those boundaries because when, as you're in rooms and you're meeting people, right, your gut is going to be telling you like, oh, this person seems really cool or, oh, this person, um, they seem, they seem a little dangerous, um, you know? <laughs> um, and so as you're meeting right. folks, right, you know, you're, you're hopefully going to be, um, you know, building those connections or, you know, kind of keeping note of, you know, who you should steer, steer clear from. Um, so keep that in mind. And then two, right. Um, this is something I was talking actually just with, um, some mentees like yesterday is that, um, you know, be willing to ask questions, especially to folks that are currently mentoring you or are trying to mentor you, right. Mm -hmm. Be willing to ask the questions, uh, you know, to see how much y'all align, Right. Um, I've definitely been in, in situations where, you know, I started with somebody that I thought was like, I thought they were the best person ever, like does so much amazing work. Right. And then very quickly, you know, it, it turned into there was like a couple of situations, right, where we we had very fundamental more moral disagreements. Right. About how to approach things and how to keep people safe. Um, and those things are important for you to to know. Right. Because that will impact your career. Um, and you have to be careful, right? Cause not, not every mentor is going to be with you throughout everything, right? Um, not every mentor also is going to be the right mentor for you. Right. Um, you know, I like to think of myself sometimes as like a mentor matchmaker, like I'll often tell people, <laughs> you know, like I've said it many times, you know, I don't think I'm going to be the best mentor for you, but I have a friend that I think would be. Um, and so, and that's why I say like, make that comment about the energy and, you know, trusting your gut, right? Because, um, you know, that, that's what's going to tell you, right? Who are the people that are your people that are really going to be able to, to help you flourish, right? Um, and be okay, be okay saying no. You know, oftentimes young people get roped into things, um, you know, because it's an opportunity, right? Um, but, but make sure that your boundaries are clear, right. And be okay with saying no. Um, cause, cause also another thing to keep in mind is people will often be more respectful of someone with firm boundaries, as opposed to someone who takes too much on, 
um, and maybe isn't able to realize that a little bit later on. And that was definitely a hard lesson that, you know, I could admit that, that I had to learn. Um, and then lastly, be real when you're going through trauma. Um, and I don't mean that you have to share everything, um, you know, share whatever you're comfortable with, but just make sure that you are being real with yourself about what your capacity is and what type of care you need for yourself. Um, in 2018, uh, I actually was managing a campaign and then my grandfather, like he was getting better, but he was getting worse and then getting better. And then he ended up passing away a week before the campaign kickoff. And so I had like convinced myself that, you know, no, this is good. Like, um, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working. Like I'll be okay. I literally gave myself, you know, only a couple days to grieve, which was, um, which wasn't healthy. Right. That was, that was one of the closest people in my family and I was devastated. And on top of it, the district that I was working with at the time was one where I had a lot of memories with my grandfather, you know, not all great. Um, you know, so it's, it's a, it was like kind of a roller coaster of emotions. And, you know, I kept trying to convince myself that, you know, I was, I was good to do the work that I was okay, but you know, I wasn't okay. I needed a little bit of time. I needed to be more deliberate about my self-care. Um, and I needed to, and yeah, I needed to lean on people. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the number one thing is, you know, take care of yourself and, um, you know, have, have those firm boundaries. Well, our condolences to your grandfather. I'm, I'm sad to hear that, uh, even though it was two years ago, like that's, mm -hmm. I know it's really hard. Um, and someone actually did want to know what your self-care was like and what you do to avoid like burnout. But I imagine grief falls under mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. Umbrella. So for self-care, I love gardening. Um, it's something that I've kind of gotten into a little bit more, um, especially now, like how I mentioned, like I've been really focusing on taking care of like air purifying plants and giving them to friends who like may not have the best air filtration system in their homes or their apartments and stuff. Um, so gardening is, is definitely something that is, is a self-care tool for me. Um, but also to, um, you know, just being able to just like sit and breathe and stretch. Stretching is actually like one of my favorite, um, self-care things because it's something that you can kind of do anywhere. Like even when you're at work, you can kind of just like go to the bathroom if you don't want to look awkward, um, <laughs> and just, you know, and just stretch, um, because like the stretching not only is releasing, um, like lactic acid fermentation, but it's also, um, you know, as if you breathe, it can also help to kind of release that tension. Um, but lastly, and my favorite, and this is something like I, I love to, to emphasize, especially to young people getting involved is have a playlist, have a playlist for yourself, like have, um, have like ideally like two playlists, like one that's good for when you're like kind of calm and sad, but you know, like just like things that are, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of melancholy, but not, yep. not depressing, but you know, like can still like kind of match that, that pace. Um, and then secondly, have a playlist that makes you feel like a badass, right? Like what I, whenever I do like public speaking workshops, one of my first questions is like, um, what's your favorite song? Like what song can you, what song can you listen to anytime? And no matter what, it'll make you feel like a motherfucking badass. What is that song? Right. And have that be the first one on your playlist and then have all these songs, right. That give you that confidence and just make you feel super confident in who you are. 
Um, because you're, you're going to be in spaces where people are going to intentionally make you feel shitty. Um, you're going to be in spaces where you're going to feel uncomfortable. Um, but going in already having the energy that you want to bring in there is, is something that is really powerful and it's really healing. Um, and if you want to dance, then, you know, fucking dance. Mm. <laughs> oh, these are good. I'm all writing these down. I'm going to do this right after this. <laughs> He was literally was like, stroking his beard when we were talking. No, I was literally like, what is that, that song? One. I was like, Power by Kanye West. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is, what has been one of the biggest learning lessons for you in local politics? Mm, yeah. Huh. Don't underestimate sneaky sexism. And don't trust that people will stop working with people once they're outed for their toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. So one sneaky sexism, right, is, you know, there are plenty of men who are proud feminists online, <laughs> voted yeah. for Elizabeth Warren and every other woman <laughs> and love to show you the pictures and tell you all about it. Um, but you know, as soon as you're in a closed room and they have, they have an opportunity to just like give a snide little comment that's super sexist, um, when you're the only woman in the room, they take it and they run with it. Um, you know, that, that happens, that happens way too often. Right. And, and I think unfortunately, like, especially throughout the years, it's been long enough to where I can say that there's, there's a good chunk of men to where like the only reason that I know that they, they better understand their sexism in the workplace is because they ended up having a daughter. And nine yeah. times out of 10, the only recourse that I have is to be like, hey, I don't think you'd like your daughter to hear that. So I'm not sure why you're telling me that. Um, you know, which is sad in and of itself. You know, someone, you, you shouldn't have to have, you know, like a woman that has your genes in order for you to protect women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then also to right, um, toxic behavior, you know, there, um, there are people that, you know, I used to have a lot more trust for, right. But, you know, as you see also, um, who other people work with, right. You also have to keep that, keep that in mind. Um, especially for me, I always try to be cognizant of what spaces I'm bringing people into. Right. And if I know that there's like three people who said something racist at the last meeting, I don't feel it's it's safe or fair for me to bring someone else into that space who isn't prepared or just shouldn't have to deal with that, right? Um, so I think I think that's something that's been a hard lesson is, you know, you can absolutely have the best case and the best arguments against somebody as to why they should not be in a space because we should be prioritizing other people's safety and well-being. But nine times out of 10, it will not be enough to get that person out or to prioritize the people that are actually getting impacted more, uh, more by what's happening in that room. Mm. Mm. That's good. Um, no. There's like, okay, there's like one more, but oh, okay. it's very philosophical. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, no, I'm skipping right. that one. Skip that yeah. One. I was going to start that reading one. that one to fuck with you, skip but I, I wasn't. I, I thought that would, I was like, no, I won't. That's too mean. Um, but there is one. It says, uh, "What is your why?" And I think what they mean uh, is like, "Why?" Yeah, you know, why, why, why we do it? It's a, it's, it's the question to ask, right? And like how I mentioned with the mentors, that's that's always a great question to start with. Um, for me, my why is my people. Um, my why is my family. My why is my my community. Um, 
you know, the earth, the land, my ancestors, uh, it's everything. Um, because I, I do adamantly believe that we are all interconnected and that social interest and contribution absolutely have to be prioritized because that's how we survive. That is how we thrive. Um, individualistic societies, they're the ones that break down. They're the ones that break down. They're the ones that die. It's, it's the militarized and individualistic societies all throughout history that cave in on themselves. Um, time and time again, you can see this. Um, but, but I care, I, I do, I have, I have a lot of love within me. I have a lot of care, um, you know, for, for our people and especially for people who are being impacted the most. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel that, I don't know, I've, I've, I've always just kind of been like this, honestly. Um, you know, as a kid, I was one of those, um, who, who I, I was even that kid who'd be like, no, you shouldn't get them in trouble. Just blame me instead, even though I didn't do anything. Cause I was just like, oh, you know, wow. cause I, I always, um, hierarchy has always been something that I've seen, right? Like I've always been very hyper aware of hierarchies, like in any situation. Um, and those power dynamics have always, I've always irritated my soul. I think that's really, <laughs> that's really the best way to put it is, you know, um, unjust power irritates, uh, my soul and it, it irritates, it irritates the balance of life. It's not, it's not normal. It's not okay. Um, so I think it's, yeah, for me, it's my why is, uh, my why is, is all of us. It's, it's the fact that, you know, I think we exist, therefore we belong. And, um, you know, we, we have a right to exist in a community that, that loves us and that we feel proud loving back. Wow. Yeah, me and Ram are always talking about sort of um, kind of the nature of like collectivist and like community and like caring about each other and stuff. And especially in a time like with the coronavirus, like how important it is that all of us like do our part. So we really, you know, appreciate that instinct, especially in our guests um, and hearing about it. I appreciate that in, in all of you, too. I appreciate you. Well, thank you for being on the po- joining thank us. Thank you for joining do you have us. Any, oh, you could tell us about the campaigns that you're running and just plug Plug, yeah, plug anything you want. Anything, this is the plug, plug section. Plug whatever. This is your time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. I apologize. Just cut me off if I talk too long. But <laughs> no, no, no. We have no, unlimited bandwidth. Never. We don't cut off here. I mean, there you go. Post, there you go. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, David Paredes, like I said, running for Fresno Unified School District, um, you know, this is a campaign that everyone, you know, can really be proud of to be on, right? You know, we're we're not just, you know, doing regular or uh, regular electoral organizing. We're, we're doing that community organizing and providing resources for folks and, um, you know, really meeting people where they're at. And like I said, you know, it's a long-term approach, right? It's something... Um, where, where my hopes, and it looks like it's already kind of happening. Um, and we'll, we'll get, we'll get a lot closer here pretty soon. Um, but we're building families, right? Like I'm, I'm definitely a sap. I, I, if I can, if I can connect a group of friends and like, you know, or if I can, you know, make a, make a match that, you know, they end up dating or whatever. Like, I love that. I, I, any opportunity we can to, you know, build families and build community, um, and I think that's what we have here with David's campaign. It's a lot of really fantastic young, um, you know, young, um, black and Latinx, uh, you know, people that are organizing the campaign and working with it primarily. And then also, um, you know, a, a great diverse team behind them as well. 
Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun environment and we've got some fun events that are also going to be coming up too. Uh, we've got phone banking, right? Like every day of the yep. week, but especially Tuesdays, Thursdays, house parties on the weekends. Um, but yeah, you just, you can go to, um, David's Twitter and there you can find the link tree. Just, you know, look David Paredes or David for FUSD. Uh, but yeah, but we, we encourage you, especially for, for younger folks that maybe this is your first time getting involved. Um, this is a great campaign to start on. Um, like I said, yep. Elizabeth Lira, who's our campaign manager, she's fantastic. She's someone that I've been mentoring and she's a fantastic mentor herself. And, you know, know that that's also a big way that we always try to approach it is, you know, um, how many other folks are we mentoring and how many folks are we passing our skills and knowledge onto? Um, and I think this campaign is, is a really beautiful example of, you know, of young folks taking care of one another, um, but also sharing knowledge. So that way we can continue building power um, in a way that allows us to take care of ourselves. So yeah, so definitely um, big ups for David and just want to shout out, you know, and, and one of my main motivations for coming to work with him is that as soon as the pandemic hit, right, um, one of the first things that he did with his DSA chapter, you know, was help to organize a mutual aid network. Um, and they were provide, you know, they provided thousands of dollars worth of resources all throughout the county um, and surrounding areas. And even then, he also created a free meal map. Right. So someone can literally just, you know, see where they are and then, um, you know, click on the location closest to them and drive right over there to get a free meal for them and their families. Um, you know, so I think I think it says a lot about, you know, the work that we're doing and how we're approaching it. Right. Um, and that. You know, we're here to take care of each other and we're here to organize and we're, we're not here to bullshit or be condescending to our, our constituents. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, Abina. Um, Abina is the vice president of the NAACP um, here locally. She's doing she's been doing a lot, uh, mentoring a lot of um, young black people in the community, um, getting them politically active and has done a ton of work, um, especially with the Native American communities actually here in the Central Valley. Um, and in addition, right, um, you know, she she's a prominent civil rights leader, Abina Cruz, and she's running for the State Center Community College District Board, right, um, against Richard Caglia. Um, but I think she's a fantastic candidate because, um, you know, she's the real deal. Like when you meet her, you can just tell she's an honest, genuine person, um, you know, who's doing these things also for the right reasons. Um, and, uh, you know, with her, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be a lot, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be a lot of outreach, but I think it's something that is, is necessary and we need that diversity on that board. Definitely. Um, and we, we need to, to highlight those voices, um, with her, you know, equity, it's all about equity. Um, you know, how can we bring equity into the schools? How can we protect our students? How can we better serve our adjunct faculty and, you know, the rest of the employees at Fresno City and all of the other campuses? Um, so I think, you know, honestly, just as, as a side note, like this is the most attention that Community College Board has ever gotten. Um, yeah. And now, and of course, I don't know if y'all remember, but every single incumbent who voted to privatize the bookstore now has one or more challengers, right? Yep. Including Richard Paglia and everybody mm -hmm. else. Um, so I'm happy because, uh, you know, and Abina is also with the SEIU union. So having someone who's pro-union, a civil rights leader, um, and someone who, has, who spends the majority of their free time either working in the Native American community or working with Black youth, um, that's someone who I want representing us for our community college district because mm -hmm. she gets it. Um, and also, you know, she went to an HBCU and wants to ensure that, you know, um, you know, we're, we're promoting that, um, promoting that as well in those pipelines. Um, cause 
yeah, we, we need better. Right. Um, just like, just like David's slogan and, and a lot of what Abina is doing, right. You know, we need equity today, not tomorrow. Like we can't wait. We need it now. Mm-hmm. We got to get Abina yeah. on the pod. Um, and we definitely appreciate all of the challengers because, um, I, I was, uh, I was editor in chief of the school newspaper when the bookstore was privatized and, I was right there. Like we saw the EOPS vouchers not being honored. We saw the missing books. We saw the empty shelves. Like we saw all of it and it was a great and like really yeah. grave injustice. So we're happy to see, we're happy to see that the girls are coming oh. for their throats. Um, and yeah. we can't and I just want to say no, y'all wait. did fantastic um, reporting. That was, it was oh, so good. Like <laughs> you, you, Kathleen shock, the whole, like all of you just fantastic job, fantastic reporting. Um, just, really, really good work. Um, and I, and I can honestly say, I think that, you know, the, the breadth and the depth of that work that you did, um, definitely helped to make it a lot easier, you know, to get those challengers. Um, so that way, you know, we, we can ensure that every one of those incumbents, you know, understands that, um, you know, your vote had consequences, not only for the students, um, but now it's going to have consequences for you. So. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us, Alexandria. Right. Thank you so much. Um, you've been listening yeah, to Five by Five uh, Nine. Follow the uh, subscribe to the newsletter. New letters. I don't know when we're sending this out. Uh, two weeks from now. So the, the schedule <laughs> might schedule be different, might be by, different then, by then. But follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Five by Five Nine. Um, and that's it. Thank you for listening. Um. Uh, Oh, and don't forget to rate and review us yeah, on give Apple, five star, iTunes, etc. Share us on Twitter, share us on Facebook, and you can follow me at Tommy Writes, T-O-M-I-I. Don't follow me on Twitter. At Twitter. Uh, and don't follow Ram. Don't follow Vibes. <laughs> don't follow him. Anyways, uh, wait, Alex, much. Alex, stay on the call uh, after mm-hmm. this. But, but goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, let's stop recording.